0: Father, thank you that you gave us enough sense to exalt you. Thank you that you made it possible for us to know you. Because, God, we were separated from life with you. Our sin created a barrier and a barricade. We were on our way to hell. But because of your great love for us, you didn't leave us in that lost condition. You made a way that we could be found, that we could be purchased, that we could be brought back and bought by the blood of your son, Jesus. So thank you our great creator Elohim for making a way that we could be born again. Thank you, Lord, for your love that went all the way to Calvary. Thank you that when they tempted you to come down off that cross, you endured the cross. You despised the shame. You paid the price. And you said, it is finished. It's paid. It's done. And we thank you, Lord, that as you said that destroyed this temple and in three days I will raise it back up again we thank you for the resurrection Jesus we thank you that you are Lord of all and you are our cornerstone you're our reason for living we are children of God and your love casts out fear so thank you Lord as we are not only saved by faith we are to walk by faith and we know that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word. And so now, Lord, as we get into the word and even hear from living epistles this morning, may our faith be strengthened. May our hearts burn within us. Might we realize we're not fighting for the victory, but we're fighting because we are victorious because of him who loved us. And we pray this believing in Jesus name and all of God's people said, amen, amen. Amen. Matthew chapter 28, verse one, it says now after the Sabbath, as the first day of the week began to dawn, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to see the tomb and behold, there was a great earthquake for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door. And sat on it. His countenance was like lightning. And his clothing as white as snow. And the guards shook for fear of him. And became like dead men. But the angel answered and said to the women. Do not be afraid. For I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. For he is risen as he said. Come see the place where the Lord lay and go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead and indeed he is going before you into Galilee. There you will see him. Behold, I have told you. And so the women came that morning to find a body that they may continue to anoint that body. But when they got there, to their surprise, they saw an angel and the angel told them That Jesus was not there. He was risen. He's gone. And they were told to go and tell that news. Starting with the disciples. Who will then go out and tell the world. So as we come to this season. Passover. um, And Easter. There's a lot of debate about the authenticity of Jesus Christ. There is much debate on Cable television about whether or not Jesus lived and whether or not he died and whether or not he truthfully and factually rose again from the dead. And there are many people in the body of Christ who have been steeped in the understanding of apologetics. And apologetics is defending the faith, even using scientific means to do so. And there are many great minds like Lee Strobel, who they've written these great books about the case for the resurrection, the case for Easter. And they lay out much evidence to prove that Christ did not swoon on the cross. He actually died on the cross. And they lay out much evidence. And it's up to the world whether or not they will believe it. But before you even get to defending the faith and talking about science and getting into all of those factual and necessary means, the greatest evidence of the resurrection of Jesus Christ is an empty tomb, just an empty tomb. And when those women went, Jesus wasn't there. He was gone. And so the greatest evidence that he is risen is that the body is gone. He is alive. And seeing an empty tomb was enough for them until they could see Jesus for themselves. Seeing the empty tomb was enough until they would see him for themselves and they would see him. And then they went and even told the disciples, we've seen the Lord. Because when they left the empty tomb, they ran into the risen Jesus. They worshiped him. Jesus said, you can't hold on to me. But go and tell the disciples and Peter that I've risen and to meet me at a particular place. So the women go and they tell the men that he is alive. So the greatest evidence that Jesus is alive is an empty tomb. Now, Next to that, the greatest evidence that Jesus is alive is the fact that he has revealed himself to people and their lives have been changed as a result because you can't meet the risen savior and stay the same. And so the greatest way we testify today is not so much talking about all of the evidence and there is a place for that. But we can testify and say, the reason why I know Jesus is alive, because he has changed me, and he is changing me. So today, we thought we would just have a little talk. This is a family. This is a sanctuary, but it's also a living room today. And we're just going to talk to some believers who have experienced the risen reality of Jesus Christ the one who has changed their lives and the one who is changing their lives. So I hand it over to my wife now as she calls forth those living epistles to bear witness to If Jesus. I can
1: have our friends, our guests that come on up. God is, yes, give them a hand, absolutely. such a blessing to get to hear stories. We love that at Strong Tower because there's such power in learning each other's stories, each other's journeys, and finding out that um, somebody else has maybe walked a a journey similar to yours and being able to gain encouragement the things that God is teaching them. So I'm excited today to get to hear from each of these precious individuals. And we're going to do ladies first. So Miss Katie Strandlin, Katie and I met at an event here at Strong Tower, and as I often do, being the pastor's wife, I'll just ask someone, hi, what's your name, what do you do? And she started telling me what she did, and I was intrigued from the start, and then she gave me her business card, and I held on to it, and it said Katie Strandlin, and it said um, she was the um, owner or the director of a um, company called Dirty Work, and I thought, hmm, that's really intriguing. You guys need to go look it up, especially if you've been here that I've spoken to lately who are dreamers and who have vision that God has given you to do something specific, kind of pubbing her a little bit. You need to talk to Katie because she's um, pretty awesome. Um, What God has called her to do. Um, So she's the founder of their company called dirty work and her team offers administrative management for creative minds through executive assistant Um, project management, and productivity consulting services. So Katie's passionate about helping other people win, and she serves pastors, speakers, nonprofits, and entrepreneurs, and she works with some pretty incredible people around the country. Um, Katie, besides your work, what would you say you're passionate about? Um,
2: Well, I would say it ties into my work, and I am passionate about the places where curiosity um, is finding courage. And more specifically, I think, um, finding people who are living at that intersection and coming alongside of them and helping them, encouraging them, um, and serving them as they live out um, that curiosity courageously in their lives, um, which is why I think I love what I do.
1: Yeah, it's awesome. Um, So as we think about this cup that Christ asked in Matthew 26 when he said to the Father, if it, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. And you shared with me about this season that God has called you to, um, where you find a similarity in asking God t- if it's his will to let this cup pass. Would you tell us a little bit about that?
2: Sure. Um. So I... It's a current season of what I would call physical suffering that really started uh, a decade ago. So I was a sophomore in college, and the the school year was just starting, Mm -hmm. and I was having a lot of pain in my joints. And I knew something wasn't right, so I went to my doctor, and long story short, they said, oh, we're going to call it rheumatoid arthritis and give you some medication, and we'll see what happens that um, it was starting to improve but i you know i still had significant pain every day and then i went back to minnesota for christmas that year to see my family and went back to school and 2 weeks later i could hardly walk um didn't really know what was going on and um, i called my doctor and he said oh you pinched a nerve and i said i didn't pinch a nerve <laughs> i don't it's not i don't have any pain in my back i don't But I would sit in a chair on a couch, and I would think to myself, I'm going to lift my foot off the ground, and I couldn't make it move. Um, I was just incredibly weak. So long story short, they did a whole bunch of testing, and they diagnosed it as a positive Joe 1 antibody inflammatory myopathy, which essentially means um, arthritis in your muscles. So in your joints, it causes a lot of pain. In your muscles, it causes weakness. So I was 20 years old, um, living eight hours from home, going to school. And really, honestly, if I had not been so stubborn, I would have been in a wheelchair. um, Because I did a lot of, I fell a lot um, because I was just that weak. And I lived in an apartment upstairs that year. um, And I would literally have to pull myself on the railing, fist over fist, to get up to my apartment because I, my legs were that weak, I couldn't climb the stairs. And uh, had I not had an amazing roommate, I don't think I would have I made it. Um, but I was really, it was the first time in my life when I was forced to try to reconcile my faith that God is good and that God is a healer with my reality and that was, I was in an immense amount of pain and suffering and confusion. I think a lot of fear. Because um, it it's not a very common disease. And so even the doctors were like, we don't really understand what's going on. And um, they had sent me to specialists at the Mayo Clinic. And, um, and so there was all of that going on. And it was the first time in my life that I'd really been forced to do that, forced to reconcile a very painful reality with a good God. Um, and so that journey continued. I, um, by the grace of God, finished college and um, you know, continued, went, to, went on to work. But it was a solid five years of up and down. I would feel better, and then it would get worse. I'd feel better, it'd get worse. Um, and nothing really seemed to be working. And um, <clears throat> I went to school to be a teacher. My whole life, I wanted to teach. Um, but when I finished school, I physically could not be in a classroom all day. So gave up that. And it wasn't until I moved to Nashville um, a little over five years ago that my disease really started making progress. And that was through a lot of various things, but a lot of just food and vitamins and getting healthy. Um, I was, you know, I'd never really been healthy, so getting healthy. And from about mid 2014 to mid 2015, I felt amazing. I was probably the healthiest I'd been in my whole life. And I was like, yes, okay. okay, I finally, I've moved past. I've moved past this storm. I'm on the other side. Like I'm good to go. This is going to be great. Um, And then late last fall, I just slowly but slowly just started feeling not myself um, physically. And that has really picked up speed since about December. Um, And it's different symptoms. Um, It's not weakness, but it's every time I eat, I feel absolutely miserable, Um, which makes life really hard and frustrating and so I once again find my place find myself living at this intersection of my faith and suffering here on earth and what how do you suffer well um and how do I you know how do I honor God in that and trust him and believe him but not um overlook and discount the fact that in this moment, it's incredibly painful. Um, and there's nothing that, he's not taking that away. He is able, but he's not. And so what do you do when that's where life leaves you? That's really, that's the current season. It's wrestling with that.
0: So the risen Savior, he's very much alive in your life and real. But as you mentioned, he's able but according to his sovereign will he just hasn't oof, taken this away. Right. And so often as Christians we think if he doesn't take it away, mm-hmm. that he's not loving, he doesn't care. Mm-hmm. What would you say to encourage someone in our body right now who may have a similar situation in their body or mm-hmm. a relationship mm-hmm. that just hasn't. So they know that yes, he's with you. We sang it today through the storm mm-hmm. to know him in the fire. Yeah. Yeah. But, just speak to that, for just for a second.
2: Um, I would say it starts with acknowledging the pain and letting yourself feel the pain. I think one of the most hurtful things, I think for me going through this whole process, was most of the time I have not felt like I could be authentic with my suffering and my pain um, with fellow believers. Because the response is, God has a plan. He has a purpose. He's going to use it for his good. And yes, I believe that. But that does not mean that it takes away the pain of the moment. Mm-hmm. And I think when we when we say that to ourselves or when we say that to other people, we're actually we're taking away the power that the suffering has to change us. Mm. You know, if you asked me how, you know, you said how is how is Jesus changing your life and how has he changed your life and I would say he has changed my life through suffering. I would not wish wish to relive the last decade of my life, but if that's what God needed to use to make me the person I am today, then I would relive it. So I think it starts with acknowledging the pain and um, being okay with that, being okay with feeling that, um, and just reminding ourselves that doesn't change the fact that,
1: um, God is good. Wow. Wow. Yes. Amen. Amen. You know, the beauty in sharing stories, and we see this all the time is that, uh, you know, we don't know who all of you are. We may not know what you're all walking through, but God always appoints a word for each of us and so I know that the things that Katie has shared and the redemption of God using her pain and her embracing the cup of suffering that she is walking through is a resonating thing and an encouragement for many people in our body Harold you are family literally I know we love to say oh this is my brother this is my sister but he's like literally like biological family Harold is um, the older brother to Chris. He is number three in their family of five children. And um, besides being an amazing big brother mm-hmm. and husband to Brenda, Harold um, is a driver for Jensco, am I saying it right? Jinko, um, who've just been bought by FedEx. And um, Harold, what would you say you're passionate about?
3: Uh I think I'm passionate about encouraging people because when you're going through something, a lot of people try to treat you like what you're going through, but you need to encourage somebody because I believe that when you come up, you should try to bring somebody else up. You shouldn't look at uh, what they're going through because that doesn't define who they are. And... Mm -hmm the same people that you're uh, looking down uh, your nose to will be the people that you might have to reach out to ask for a hand.
1: That's, that's my brother, that's my brother. Just. You go home. Oh,
0: Yeah.
1: <laughs>
0: well, your story, uh, I've been wanting to get you up here for a long time to tell just some of your story of what Jesus, the deliverer, is able to do. Uh, Could you give the family just a little bit of your story?
3: Okay, well, you know, I come from uh, Baltimore City. Uh, I was a pretty good kid, I thought. Uh, Pretty good, uh, you know, I tried to excel in everything I did. But along the way, I made choices to uh, start drinking at an early age, and I fell into drug addiction, uh, heroin to be exact, uh, for 23 years, and during that course, um, I gave it my all. Matter of fact, I worked overtime to try to be the best drug addict I could be, Mm. and um, Mm. During this time, I I, I realized that sometimes the Lord got to take things away from you to give you some of him. He took my first wife away, my children away, um, everybody who believed in me, uh, he took them away. So a lot of times through them years, I had to walk by myself. Um, But in 88, I accepted the Lord as my savior, and I thought it was gonna be a big bang experience. I thought I was gonna be automatically going up, but it was like I was on a sliding board with oil. I went down even further and faster. Uh, During this time, now I went through incarcerations multiple times. Uh, Actually, they had to uh, jumpstart my heart Twice on two separate occasions, um, I suffered uh from sugar diabetes now, but I was walking around my sugar was over six hundred and fifty um, but all through this time mm. and and it's amazing how when you're going through the the Lord always gives you a word to remember you know it might not be a a long sermon, it might just be a word, hold on, hold on. Especially if you know of the Lord, and it's better if you know him. But he uses everything for the good, mm-hmm. and and certain things I just held on to. So finally come 2003, uh, through all of these years and everything I've been through, my daughter, one of my daughters... She gave me $20, but before she let that $20 go and I held it, both our eyes locked on each other for about three or four seconds. And that moment, the Lord say, you're through. You know, it's, it's I'm gonna bring you out. And from July 24, 2003, I've been clean, uh, yeah. I met my wife down here, and I'm sitting here in front of y'all.
1: Wow! Wow! Yeah, stories of redemption. It's the work of God. Just having walked that, just listening to that again. Yeah. God is good. We just sit in that—the goodness of God, the faithfulness of God—that He didn't leave you, and He didn't forsake you. And uh, you know, I put a pin in this and in honor of my amazing mother-in-law because um, when everybody, including us, just—you know—you get weary. You know, if any of you have walked with your family through something and you get tired, you know, humanly, and you say, "I, I don't know." On this side of heaven, I just don't know. And I know we were at that place. Um, Just couldn't see it with human eyes. And uh, I honor Betty Williamson because she saw what he is today. She believed it the power of a praying mother. Um, And, um, you know, she listens to these sermons because she loves her sons. And I know she's going to watch this video. And I honor her um, because she believed that he would be where he is today. And I, I believe with all of my heart that God honored her prayers and he honored her faith. Um, and those who sow in tears, you know, the Bible tells us will, will come forth rejoicing. And so, um, the one who sows the deepest reaps the greatest joy. And so she sowed. And so if there's anyone here who is sowing and is praying and believing and wrestling with doubt, um, you know, let, let Harold's story that no matter how many years or how much you have lost that God is able to redeem, um, he's able to restore. And, um, every time we get to just hug in church, um, it's just another reminder of the power of God at rest and at work. Um, thank you for sharing Harold. Um, Bob, we've enjoyed getting, um, closer with you and Kay in huddle group on Wednesday nights. Um, it's been a blessing to co-lead our group together and, um, just encourage one another really sharp and iron. Um, you are the vice president, uh, at Lifeway for their global sales and operations and, um. A pretty cool job from the outside, me looking in, because you get to travel all over the world. And you know, you were telling us you went to India and you've gone here and you're asking us to pray for you. And I'm going, man, I, I like the perks of this job. You get to just go all, all around and travel. Um, but tell us what you're passionate about.
4: Uh, Doreen, I got the coolest job in the world right now. Um, I've worked for a long time, a lot of years with other people, but uh, working where I do now uh, gives me a job where we're putting Bibles and Christian materials in the hands of churches all around the world. Mm -hmm. Um, for a long time, our company did not have much of a global focus and we're just starting now. So, um, so that's a big part of my job, but, uh, to go into places where, um, I mean, remember when you were a kid and you would read like Acts chapter two and you would go, man, I wish I was alive back then. You know, when you saw the church just exploding, we are, we're alive then. Around the world, the church is exploding. And um, I love to share my faith. Uh, I love to see people get discipled. Uh, I love to see churches growing and getting planted and getting deep in the word of God. And we create the materials to do that. So that's, um, that, that's something that's pretty easy to get passionate about. Um, I'm reminded all the time that, you know, when the Lord returns, he doesn't come back for Lifeway. He comes back for his church. And, and to be able to build up the church is, a, is just a phenomenal... Uh, privilege, yeah.
0: Mm. Yeah. amen. and I know Elder Tyler is probably thinking I can see your mind now Elder because in our huddle groups we always want to keep growing and getting better and deeper and so we've been sharing stories and, and uh, I'm going to get to a story you shared a couple of weeks ago with everyone but we want to also keep growing and study so would you help us to pick out a curriculum that we can use coming up over the summer and even in the fall for our huddle groups uh, so we can keep getting deeper, not only in story, but above all in God's story and the work. Absolutely,
4: yeah, it'd be our privilege. Uh,
0: But you shared a story, man, that so touched my heart. Uh, I wish you could have kept talking that night, but you talked about an experience that you had when you went to South Africa. Um, Could you share a little bit about that? with your family.
4: Sure. And, and I'll warn you to be careful what you wish for, um, because because you wish that I could keep on talking. And that's a dangerous thing. No. Uh, <laughs> that's a dangerous thing. Kay and I have this backwards marriage, you know, where I have all the words and she's worn out by about 8.30 in the morning. Well, man, I can keep going all night. So uh, uh, a couple of months ago, a couple of months ago, I was in South Africa on business, and I had a chance to visit some printers, uh, some publishers, some warehouses, some third-party logistics companies, doing the thing that I have to do, right? I was visiting potential authors, and it was a great joy because I was meeting white authors, black authors, and and there's a third race in South Africa, and it's just so hard for me to say it out loud, but they have a race they call colored, and this is a mixed-race people or an indigenous people, but I met authors from all three races, and I was having a wonderful time. Uh, When it was time to leave, though, I had 12 hours to kill in Johannesburg uh, at the airport, which is a terrible place to kill time. Uh, So I bought myself a train ticket and went into uh, the heart of Johannesburg and um, took myself to the Apartheid Museum. The Apartheid, um, anybody like over the age of 25 would probably remember this time period or at least learning of it in school, but... um, I'm of a generation where I remember it pretty closely, and, it, and, it, and it's racism in all kinds of forms is um, amazing and startling and surprising and fascinating to me, just trying to figure it out. Mm. So I said, well, this is a museum I want to see, because in the country of South Africa, until 1994, apartheid was the law of the land. Every single one of us in this room this morning would be uh, guilty of criminal behavior, I'm sitting on the couch with a black brother. I would be accused of criminal activity, and guilty of it. Everyone who's in a mixed-race marriage uh, would be guilty. Anybody seen holding hands or dating uh, would be guilty. Um, There were dozens and dozens of apartheid laws that told you how to register your race, where you were permitted to work, where you were permitted to attend church. It was um, an institutionalized racism. So I thought, well, that's a museum I'd like to see. Help me understand this thing. And as you come to the museum, there are seven large pillars that soar maybe 50 feet into the sky with seven words on them that form the pillars of the Constitution. And they're words like freedom, responsibility, equality, respect, reconciliation, democracy, diversity. I thought, well, that was kind of neat. And I took a picture of that. And then I paid my $5 or whatever it cost to go into the museum. And upon entering the museum, the computer just randomly prints out a racial designation for you. I still keep mine in my wallet. Mine says (laughs) non-white. So um, anybody could get any one of these things, right? I came out non-white. And so I had to enter the non-whites entrance. And I've experienced, you know, segregation before, you know, where whites and blacks go down different. But I've never been discriminated against until that moment. And I realized uh, the the privilege of my white skin. And when I went in the non-white entrance to the museum, I had a whole bunch of emotions came up in me that I wasn't familiar with. Mm -hmm. I didn't really enjoy them that much. But I wanted to know what the whites were getting on their door because I had to go in the other door. And as I traversed all the exhibits in this museum, it goes chronologically through history. And I mean, by the time I got to about 1980, I was starting to get violent. I was really starting to get angry um, because I had to keep watching these horrible propaganda videos that were made uh, you know, by these white supremacists and stuff. And it, it was just wrong on so many levels. I thought about Nelson Mandela, who had been in prison for 27 years, taken away from his wife and children, while the whole country was in upheaval, and he was out on Robben Island, something akin to Alcatraz. And so when he was released, finally, in 1991... And eventually laws were changed that empowered everybody to vote. The blacks are the majority race of South Africa. The African National Congress was swept into power. And so in 1994, Mandela was elected president. And his view was that his primary purpose of his presidency, his primary purpose was reconciliation. I thought, how, how, when everything had been taken from him, when every rule had been set up against him, and he finally got that chance, he said, now it's our turn. We're on top, and his primary purpose for his presidency was reconciliation. When I came out the end of the museum two and a half hours later, and I stood and I looked at those 50-foot pillars... I was stuck at that reconciliation one for a long time. December 16th is a very big day in South Africa. In the 19th century, December 16th was a day in which the whites achieved a big victory over some tribal Zulus. And they formed a holiday around that day that I think they call the Day of the Vow. I think it was in 1961 that the African National Congress formed its militant right wing and said enough of this nonviolence, it's time for a black day, and they called it the nation of the spear. Today, December 16th, in South Africa, since 1994 and every December 16th since, the day has been renamed the Day of Reconciliation. Mm -hmm it's not a white day. It's not a black day. This is our day. It's a day of reconciliation. So I got on the plane. I got thinking about everywhere I'd been. I'd been to print shops, black people and white people working together. I'd been to a publishing company, black publisher and white publisher working together. I'd been to church, black pastor and white pastor serving and preaching together. You ask, what's the evidence of a... Resurrection, it's the evidence of a changed life. You know, Mandela said, he got a, a courageous award, he got an a, a award for courage, and his quote was something like, a courageous person doesn't fear forgiveness for it leads to peace. And I thought, well, I'll probably spend the rest of my life trying to figure out reconciliation, but Forgive me if I've ever harmed anyone in here. I'm determined to get it right. We'll figure out some way to reconcile. Mm, mm,
2: (laughs) Mm.
0: Well, I hope you were encouraged today through these snippets of these wonderful people who were able to testify to the realness of Jesus Christ, um, that he can change your life. And he is in the process of changing our lives. Um, Do I have a witness in the house that Jesus is real? Do I have a witness? Amen, amen, amen. Well, next week, uh, if the Lord wills, we'll come back and we will jump and shout and praise and sing and worship our risen Savior, Jesus Christ. So I'm going to ask our worship leader who will be leading us next week, Joel Gibson, Dr. Jewel Gibson, to come and close us in prayer. Would everyone please stand? And let's thank our panel who came today. Amen.
5: Let us pray. Thank you, God. Hosanna, Hosanna, which means save, save. Blessed is He who came to bring us salvation. We thank you, God. And Lord, we thank you that we see the evidence of salvation through these, your people, who have shown us the power of a transformed life. God, thank you that that is a true reality show for those who put their confidence and trust in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. We don't have to look to the world for reality, for we see, Lord, whether it hurts, whether we cry, whether we succeed or not, that all you want from us, God, is to receive glory for whatever circumstance that we are in. So, Lord, we say on the day we trust you. We put our confidence in you. Lord, your blood works. It reaches from the highest mountain and it flows to the lowest valley. Lord God, we thank you for your blood, that it has power to change us so that we may be conformed to your image. So now unto him who is able to do exceedingly and abundantly above all that we could ask or think, according to his power that is at work in us, we give you praise. And the people of God said, amen. Amen. Amen.
0: Thank you.